Okay. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Adoptees podcast. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Patricia Carey from, from Ireland. Um, welcome to the show, Patricia. Thanks very much, Simon. And great to be here today and to talk to your listeners. So thank you for the opportunity. Great. So today, listeners, we're going to do something a little bit different. So Patricia Carey is the... Um, She's the CEO of the Adoption Authority in Ireland, and they've uh, um, introduced a, a new service for um, adoptees and people involved in, in, in adoption. And I, this is such a big issue, this access to information, finding out who we are, finding out our origins, all the, the birth information certificates, such a big, um, a, a, a big issue. Um, I thought it'd be a great opportunity to do something slightly different and kind of showcase what they're doing in Ireland because they're trying to, yeah, well, not trying. You are, you are moving with the times. You're, you're, you're opening up. So, um, uh, you know, we had a, a guest on the show from Cork, a South African um, a lady from uh, who now lives in Cork. Recorded an episode with her a couple of uh, weeks ago, so that'll have gone live by this one time. This gone live, but this is going to be a different sort of episode. So, what? Um, Yes. Can you tell? Start off. What, what's the what's the new service that um, that, that you? Okay. Been... So I, I suppose I'd start off by saying, uh, Simon, it's actually new legislation that was introduced okay. uh, in Ireland on the first of July, twenty twenty two, and the piece of legislation is called the Birth Information and Tracing Act. So that, for the first time in Ireland, enshrines in law uh, adoptees' rights to apply for and receive all information held about their birth, their early life, their care, medical information uh, while they were, you know, after at their time of birth and up to their time of placement. So it's I'll just give you some context. It's historic um, and it is landmark because for many, many years and understandably for the last 20 20, 30, 40 years, adoptees have been asking for this and effectively they were blocked or barred from receiving information about themselves. So adoption was legalised in Ireland in 1953, the 1st of January. And since then, there's been approximately 50,000 people adopted in Ireland. Now, I'll talk later on about some of the complications and challenges around that. But prior to 1953, there was quasi-informal adoption. Um, some people call it fostering. Some people in Ireland, the term boarded out was used. So it was a quite a, a difficult placement of children, sometimes very successful, but sometimes for a lot of people, not so happy or successful, where effectively children were placed with families and used as unpaid labour, maybe on farms or in households. Um, and I suppose for your listeners, the, the challenge is finding those records if they exist um, and then putting them together to give them to the adoptees. And I would say that, you know, there's sometimes with adoption, there's a, a misnomer that there's a file for each individual. You know, we're just going to lift out Patricia's file or Simon's file or Mary's file and everything is there. Unfortunately, that's not the case. Um, some of your listeners will know that many people in Ireland were born in mother and baby homes, as they were called, uh, which were not uh, great places for the vast majority of people. Um, women would have said they were effectively incarcerated there. So 
the pathway for records was when a woman went into a mother and baby home, there was a, a record of her admission, so to speak, and her time there. And then there was maybe some records of the birth of the child. But unfortunately, then some women may have moved to another institution, either a Magdalene Laundry, another mother and baby home, and the child may have moved to another institution or care facility. So we're already at having two sets of records. And then we move on another step where maybe the birth mother, the, the mother was involved with an adoption agency. So we've got a third set of records. And then we've the records related to the prospective adopters. And then finally, the records related to the placement of the child. So I often say to people, like we're trying to put together a jigsaw of records in some instances over 30, 40 or 50 years. Um, and that takes time. And we want to get it right because people have been waiting a long time. And the last thing we want to do in the Adoption Authority is give out incomplete records or the wrong records. So it, it's taken a lot longer than we would have liked. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I saw that um, uh, that 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 term boarded out um, on yeah. the on the website, and uh, I thought, oh, that's interesting. Um, I wonder, I wonder what that means. I've not heard that term, but so yeah. thank you for explaining that in a, in yeah. a, a bit of context. Yeah, um, when I did my search over here in the UK, you know, so here you've got to go through a consultant, um, like a, like a counselor, and, and yeah. they, they have access to the records. I I eventually found out they that. They got my file, um, uh, pulled it, it together uh, eventually, um, and um, yeah, my my birth. So I, I was adopted from from Liverpool, um, which is for for people perhaps out, outside um, of the UK and Ireland. It, it's just it, it's like how far is it from Liverpool to 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 Dun Dunleary is the port, isn't it? The port, like, yeah, probably what. Couple of hours uh, by boat. Yeah. yeah. So um, there's a lot of uh, a, a lot of people um, from uh, from uh, Ireland in Liverpool and Liverpool in Ireland. Yeah. So my my birth father had has an Irish name actually had, had an okay. uh, Irish surname Quinn. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, there's there's a little bit of connection there. Um, so uh, yeah, so the legislation really is the is the is the background to the 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 change. Mm -hmm. And yeah. this is enshrined in law, and that's the basis on which you, you know you're building this um, support service and, and access service for for adoptees. Yeah, so I mean, it's like there's two agencies in the state providing information. Again, I suppose this adds to the confusion. So our child and family agency, which are the the child protection uh, agency in Ireland, they would hold adoption files, and then obviously the adoption authority holds files. So the legislation does a couple of things. As I said, it gives everyone the right to all of their birth, early life information and very critically, including their original birth certificate. So up to the 1st of July, the vast majority of adoptees could not get their birth certificate unless their family of origin sanctioned that. Or it was clear that that their family of origin birth mother was deceased and and they would issue that. But it was only in a small number of instances. The legislation also gives a a legal basis for tracing. So as you were saying there in, in the UK, you go through a consultant or person. So in, in Ireland, people can trace, they can make an application, say, I want to trace my family of origin. I want to trace my birth parents, my siblings, half siblings. So then people are, are entitled to uh, a service. 
Um, so people have to make two applications, which is slightly complicated. They have to make an application for their information and then they can make an application for tracing. Uh, we've had over nearly 3000 applications for information. And I think over that, the Child and Family Agency are receiving the applications for tracing. They've had well over 3000 applications for tracing and they're from, from people all over the world. So really interestingly, Part of the campaign that the Adoption Authority ran was a communications campaign, not just in Ireland, but, you know, worldwide through the Government of Ireland Embassy Network and very heavily promoted in the UK because we want birth parents and adoptees who moved away, who live in the UK, Canada, America. And I've done some interviews with some, you know, USA based uh, media agencies just to get the word out, because this isn't just a service for people residing in Ireland. It's a service for any person who their life was affected by adoption, uh, be they extended family, family of origin or adoptees themselves. So we really want those people to engage. And what we've done to try and make it as e easy as possible, Simon, is there's like a specific website that has all the information. So it's called birthinfo.ie, fairly simple, birthinfo.ie. Go on the website, how to trace, how to apply for information. It has a frequently asked questions. And obviously then there's some phone numbers there. If people are, you know, people might say, look, I don't understand this or, you know, requirement for identification. So we're really keen to help people apply in the way that suits them. We're very conscious of digital literacy and not everyone has Wi-Fi or access to devices. So again, they can make a phone call or, somebody we can print a hard copy like we have actually a lot of people who say look I'm not filling this in on a computer so we'll send them out the actual physical form and they can fill that in uh, we were very fortunate as well that given that in Ireland probably every family there's just over five million people living in Ireland every family in some way is touched by adoption Um, our government agreed at significant cost that every household in Ireland would receive a booklet of information about this new legislation. So I don't know in the UK, but very rare that we send information to every household. I think obviously for elections and referenda and obviously during COVID, but this was a unique, uh, it, it was deemed as so important that we got the information to each individual that we distributed over a million of these booklets to houses and 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 people who don't live in homes, people in prisons, people in homeless accommodation, that everyone would have access to it. Wow. Wow. I'm just thinking of the postage bill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, you know, we, we have to like we we balanced the cost because obviously it's taxpayers' money with the historical nature of the legislation. And again, I suppose for your listeners, going back, it was 1984 in Ireland was the first time that legislation about adoptees' rights to their information was first drafted. So we're talking like, you know, nearly 40 years ago. And that's why I think the government took the decision that people have waited so long for this. We want it to be successful. We want as many people as possible to engage with the, the you know, the impact and, and their rights of access to information. So that's why we took the decision to give a booklet to every household in Ireland. That's great. And uh, I forgot to say when you mentioned the URL. So in the in the show notes, listeners, 
as always, right, there'll be links. Uh, there'll be links to birthinfo.ie. There'll be links to um, the Adoption Authority of, of Ireland so people can, um, if they're, like, I, I'm always, uh, I listen to podcasts when I'm walking the dog or driving. So it's, it, it, I, people do me a, you know, give me a website address. I can't always remember it. And I'm, I'm not going to try and uh, write it down while I'm driving or I've got a pen when I'm walking the dog. Um, so that's, check that out if you want to find out. Um, more um, but that's great uh, if you've you, you know you've had 3,000 people take up um, uh, take up this and, and and this was since October did you say so so we had it we we opened the services in two phases so the first thing was that we we launched what we called a contact preference register <clears throat> so this was to allow people to indicate the level or type of contact they wanted to have so birth parents could say Look, you know, I really want to share information with my adopted son or daughter, but I don't feel ready to meet at the moment. Or um, I want to share a letter, but not phone calls. So th this contact preference register also allowed quite a small number of people. It's very important to say, I think we've only had about 150 people say, look, I don't want any contact and I really don't want to engage with this. Um. And it was important to allow those people to register what we called no contact. And uh, what that didn't mean was that their adopted son or daughter wouldn't receive information, but that we would tell their son or daughter, look, you know, we're giving you your information, but we need to advise you that your uh, family of origin have said no contact. Um, again, I suppose interesting with no contact over the years, because we've had this register running. It started in 20, 2005. And then with the legislation, so we have about 17,000 people on this register going back to 2005. People who said no contact maybe 10 years ago come back to us and say, look, I've actually thought about it. And I did say no contact, but now I'm really keen to meet or I'm really keen to have some sort of communication. So I always say to people, no contact means no contact now, but it doesn't close the door into the future because we all know our lives change. Things can happen. You know, we read something, we see something, we talk to someone and we we reconsider what we might want. And again, I suppose your listeners would be aware in Ireland, you know, there's a, a Catholic legacy. There's a legacy of maybe secrecy around um, at the time what would have been called unfairly unwanted pregnancies. So, again, that was the reason for the booklet to give information and say, look, these are your rights. Um, so the register opened in, in July and that was to allow people who wish to register no contact. And as I say, with about 150 of those registering no contact. And then in on the 1st of October, we launched our information and tracing services. So it was really to spend three months and really getting the information out there. So it was like a three month campaign to say this is what's going to happen in October. Here's information about it. If you have any questions, come to us. And then on the 1st of October, we launched our applications with the Child and Family Agency for information services and tracing services. And between both services, I think we have about 6,000 applications, which we, we didn't think we'd get that many. And that is great, but it also has a challenge built in because, yeah. um, you know, it takes a long time to put together that information and we want to do it forensically and we want to do it really well, particularly for people who've been waiting a long time. 
Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. Um, fantastic, as you say, this ac the accuracy is really important here. Um, so yeah, and uh, I I did my search in two phases, right? So I got what somebody called an original birth certificate. But it's not; it's just a bit of bit of crappy paper, really, with her her name on um, and yeah. um, and and my original name on. That was a bit of a spooky one. I didn't I didn't realize that I'd had a name other than Simon Jonathan Ben, right? So you're that's who you're two talking to. But I was I was David Anthony Flower um, yeah. from from my birth month. So yeah, I I paused and then um, uh, and then something uh, something happened. Uh, I had a bit of a meltdown in a therapy session and decided, right, okay, I'm not going to let this fear, uh, you know, uh, blight my life. And and I restarted, I restarted yeah. the search, and then I, and that led me to getting the file. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's quite it's quite important that you know people go at their own speed and they have uh, and and go yeah. in phases and can change their mind. Exactly. And I think that, again, there can be a bit of a, a misconception that adoptees want everything. You know, they want all they want. Obviously, most adoptees want their information and they immediately want to meet all their family of origin. And I think that's probably a little bit attributed to these, you know, long lost family sort of programs on TV that are very, you know, OK, they're good, but they're they're giving a limited overview because in my experience and I've been CEO for nearly nine years, the vast majority of adoptees want information and then they might decide, okay, that's fine. I now know where I was born, who looked after me, my, you know, my birth name, as you say, um, some medical information, but, but that's enough because I have my family. And then other people say, maybe after a while, as you say, I want to do a trace. So it isn't just a one size fits all that everyone wants all of the services. And that's why we deliberately separated the provision of information with the provision of tracing as two distinct services. Yeah. Yeah. Have, have you heard this phrase reunion porn? Have you heard that? Um, well, I mean, the, the, I've heard the phrase related to lots of programs like, you know, the poverty porn where they had like, unfortunately, in the UK, it was like, um England's poorest street or you know that like you know you you probably experience this but we often get calls from journalists or television production companies saying so we want to follow someone on their journey and their trace and can you put us in touch with the birth mother or an adoptee it's like no we don't do that no. <laughs> like this is this is someone yeah, sure. yeah 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 this is someone's private life and it's also very you know sensitive and confidential to them um, so I, you know, I have mixed views in terms of the whole reunion porn, as you as you you, you describe it. I think some people may wish to to do that, and and they have done so. I'm not so sure that's how things should be because I think a lot of us in the adoption community know that probably the journey to reunion or meeting uh, family of origin isn't just a linear, straightforward. Oh, you meet them and suddenly you're you know, part of another family, it's it's a slow burner. Yeah. So what sort of um, provisions are there in, uh, in 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 Ireland for the kind of like the support along the journey? What's what does that? Mean? Yeah. So, uh, again, I'll, I'll give you all the details to put on the pop podcast. So we have um, I, the first thing I would say is we're not assuming that everyone who comes to us for services needs therapeutic or, or support. Okay. And that's something that we've heard quite, quite 
strongly and we've listened to that some people are like, yeah, I just want my information. And to be quite honest, I don't need to meet a social worker or I don't need a whole. So some people do, some, some people want to check in. So we have a, a, a full social work service here through the Adoption Authority, as does TUSLA, the Child and Family Agency. Um, we're sending people their information in the form they want, either digitally or hard copy. And and we're, I suppose, offering, you know, if you have questions, come back to us. Um, and then we also have a counselling service that's run through Bernardo's. Um, I know you have Bernardo's in, in the UK. We have Bernardo's in Ireland providing post-adoption support services. Um, there hasn't been a massive take-up of people wanting significant therapeutic interventions. What I would say is our social workers are maybe having, you know, couple of conversations with people where they say you know oh previously I thought this was my life story and now I find out that this is so I just want to tease it out with you um so we're very careful to go at the pace that the adoptee wishes and not to assume you're going to be traumatized you're going to be um because some of that narrative did build up in Ireland that that you know all these adoptees were going to be traumatized and upset and angry whereas the vast majority are quite practical and it's like thank you I now have received the information but between ourselves in the adoption authority um, the child and family agency and in Bernardo's there's there's support there if people wish to have counselling or some you know brief intervention from a social worker or in fairness Simon a lot of people come back to us and say look I got my information and there's a couple of things on the file that I'm not clear about and it may be an administrative question you know it says here 1978 but I thought that happened in 1977 so some of it is technical questions that they have about the information they've received and then as I say for a small number of people they may have concerns or they may have some upset arising from receiving the the file and the information yeah yeah we um I was just keen keen away there a bit rude but I was we, we've had the one of your colleagues from Bernardo's Island on uh, on the podcast actually and um oh yeah it was a long time ago now I can't remember her name that's really was it Suzanne was it Suzanne Connolly it was it was yeah, yeah she's the she's the chief executive there she's super yeah so I'm I'm gonna put a link in I'm gonna put a link in the show notes to to Suzanne's uh uh episode that we did last year it's um yeah I'm I'm 55 and my 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 brain and it has very limited short term. <laughs> no, I can't I can't remember. It's probably about 150 episodes ago since we did. Wow. That. Yeah. Wow. Um. So is there um is there anything else that you'd like to 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 share? Well, I suppose I mean like one of one of the challenges I hit on earlier, Simon, and it is look, it's regrettable. Um. It's regrettable and positive. We weigh more applications than we have the the current resources to to process. Um, And I think I said earlier as well that we're we're being really cautious and careful that we send every individual all of their information. So it's taking time. Um, There were some timelines, statutory timelines set down in the legislation that we're not going to be able to hit on with with 3000 plus applications. But we're we're working through them. Uh, we're committed to them and we're updating people along the way. So if you've made an application to us and you're thinking, right, I should get this by November, December, and we know you're not going to get it, we're going to let you know. We're not just going to let it drift. So that's important for people. Um, I would also say, 
unusually um i mean my background is in the the charitable world um so it's you know working in the state sector is different but i would say in terms of the adoption authority staff people are hugely committed to this legislation and the services arising from it and actually you know we've done a lot of work with the staff i think a lot of the staff feel quite privileged that they are giving someone for the first time the person's entitlement their right and i think they take that very seriously and very um they're very aware of the significance of the provision of information for people so it's not like sending out a tax cert or a you know another government document that may be important but not as emotionally or life significant so the staff i i always say you know we're really fortunate to have such a committed uh dedicated group of staff like staff are coming to me over you know saying look i'm happy to work overtime i'll work longer work harder because they know how important it is to get this information out there to adoptees yeah that's brilliant um thank you and i think that that expectations thing's uh really important um I, I just got a new passport through and they said 12 weeks and it came in about two weeks. So I'm absolutely, uh, <laughs> I'm delighted. That it, but the expectations is, is, is kind of really important. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, patience, you know, like when I got my adoption file, whenever it was seven, eight years ago now, um, it, it the, the 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 paper smelt like Egyptian papyrus, you know what I mean? Like yeah, <laughs> it had yeah. been locked away in some uh, box somewhere for ages, and and, yeah. and you've got uh, you've you've got clearly got quite a job on your hands. Um, yeah. Finding finding those boxes and pu- pulling the, the information together from different sources. So uh, I think as long as we manage expectations, everybody's happy. It's it's yeah. when, it's that lack of. It's that lack of information with the bureaucracy that that drives me, me nuts. If as long as I'm kept updated, you know. Yeah, I think I think people appreciate they mightn't like it, but they appreciate it being updated. You know, as you say with your passport, you you thought you get it in twelve weeks, you got it in two. You're delighted. We want to tell people, look, we we are delayed and we're working on it, and you will get it, but it's going to take longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the reasons it's taken longer is. We didn't anticipate that when people received their file, the number of back and forth questions they have. Now, that's not a criticism and we're happy to take them. But if you receive your file and you come back to me six times with an email and I respond six times, that that's taken a chunk away from the You know, so there's a there's a kind of a domino effect. But we are absolutely committed to providing top class information services to, to everyone who seeks them. Yeah. And just to be clear again, um, uh, Patricia mentioned this. This is available to. It doesn't matter if if you were born born in Ireland. It doesn't matter where you live now. This service is for everybody. Because, yeah. uh, like as I mentioned to Patricia before started the recording, like sixty odd sixty odd percent of of the listeners here uh, to, to the Thriving Adoptees podcast are from um, from uh, from uh, from the US. Um, yeah. Uh, so um, is there uh, I mean, we focus in on the adoptee thing. Is there anything else that you want to mention about um, birth mothers apart from the register? Yeah. Is, so, is I mean, anything? I suppose, yeah, what your question there about, I suppose, support and guidance and, and therapeutic support, like that's probably one of the areas where some birth mothers are are a little bit maybe, oh, you know, th- this, is, this is a big thing. You know, I didn't realize that, you know, the information would be going out to my 
um, adopted son or daughter and they might just need a little bit of a conversation or, or a chat about it um, and that's there for them so it's not just about the, the adult adoptees it's um, about siblings half siblings um, everyone and anyone associated and you know for, for your USA listeners like there were over 2,000 children born in Ireland sent to the United States and then adopted in the USA <clears throat> and that's something very significant uh, and, and we're also, you know, any information that we have on those files and records, we can we can get them to to those individuals. Also, I suppose people who, you know, have moved abroad, any, anyone who I suppose has a link to Ireland and adoption, we, we're happy to help them. Now, a couple of people have come to us and said, oh, I think I was adopted in Ireland or I think it was adopted from Ireland. In a small number of instances, we're saying to people, we have no records like we've done on every search and every type of search um so there are some people where unfortunately for vast you know lots of reasons we don't hold records that's great well thanks for coming on the show really appreciate thank you very much uh, and uh, and i'll give you all those headline you know those website links and any information that might be useful to your listeners brilliant okay thanks Thanks a lot thank you thank you bye